What's going on, everybody? And welcome to the first episode of the year. We are back. The whole team is here. It is another episode of Boots to Balls. Uh, of course, hopefully you guys uh, remember at least two of the three of us. Uh, I am David Storm Manning, PA announcer, game day host for your New Orleans Saints. And of course, I'm joined by the man, Mr. Donald Dunn. Hey. And joining us for the first time in three weeks, making his long-awaited return, his first of 2024, producer Brett Robles. Welcome back, producer Brett. How you been? Having the flu sucked, but I'm back and I'm alive. That is that is a welcome you back, not clapping for the flu. The flu does, in fact. It was not awful. So, very happy that uh, that you are back here. And if you guys are following along with us, we are live on uh, YouTube. And uh, we want you guys to be a part of the show. So, please feel free to comment with uh, any questions or comments uh, throughout the way. And we will be monitoring those. One of either Donald or Brett is uh, monitoring the chat. And uh, yes. we will definitely make sure... Uh, we got anybody out there listening right now that we're gonna wave hi to? Um, yeah, but we will certainly. Our, our streams that. live, but we know we don't have any comments yet. Okay, fantastic. So we will in a minute, and uh, when we do, we will we'll definitely shout you out. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. If you're not watching it live, that's okay. Uh, you can pick this up whenever you want to. Whether you watch it on our YouTube channel or whether you just follow the audio only on your favorite podcast networks. Uh, we are all warmed up, ready to outkick boot sports coverage. We got a lot to get to. We took last week off for yes. the holidays. Merry late Christmas and Happy New Year, fellas. Happy How was everybody's New holiday? Year. Very, very good, very good. This is awesome. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad y'all had a good one. I did as well. Yep. We're all back here, which means we all made it through safely. And uh, we're going to start getting right into the program. Got a lot to get to. We're going to start breaking down bowl week we had two bowl games here in the i i I gotta i gotta make a quick statement despite i feel like you wrote at least one since you hadn't been here in the last two weeks despite no louisiana teams being in it the pop tart bowl is my new favorite bowl because not only did they have amazing trophy and an edible mascot but if you saw how that mascot danced out of that toaster it was better than the game itself so where was the Pop Tart Bowl played? In Orlando. Yeah, that's I have no idea. <laughs> so is was it a domed stadium? Oh no, outdoors. See, outdoors. they they need to either put the Pop Tart Bowl in a domed stadium, or they need to put it in a stadium where it has the retractable roof, so you can close it to make it look like a toaster. That would be hey, hilarious. Hey, that's that's nice. Hey. Ideas over here. That's what I do. I'm an idea man. Uh, I think that would be kind of funny. Uh, I did not see the Pop-Tart Bowl. Who knows? Maybe we'll be lucky or unlucky enough to have a team in the Pop-Tart Bowl next year. Who even played in the Pop-Tart Bowl? That was North Carolina State, home of potentially the next LSU defensive coordinator. And Kansas State. All wrong. All wrong. Um, 
All right. So it was North Carolina, Carolina. and uh, and Kansas State. There we how go. How do they do? I, I mean, we've been so busy following boot sports. I have no State, idea how they even know. finished up. Would we have to do um, well? Would we have to do mediocre? Would we have to do poorly to end up in the Pop-Tart Bowl? I we guess is what I'm asking. We are not bowl aligned with the Pop-Tart Bowl, but I suppose maybe. But we I are guess. aligned with Ian Rigney and the Hot Barrel Boys outdoor team, specifically Coach Darren. It says hi. What up, Coach Darren? Hello, hello. DeBerna, he's joining us today. Fantastic. Well, you guys picked a great time to join us. We're just about to jump into bowl coverage. I uh, started talking about the Pop-Tart Bowl, but that ain't had nothing to do with us. That's right. So let's talk. Um, let's start with the GoBowling.com Military Bowl. Oh, it started. It featured with uh, Tulane and Virginia Tech. Here's why I want to start with that bowl. Because that bowl was nothing more than a glorified exhibition game. Yes, it was. It, it really was. I... And we talked about this in our in our last episode. I had a hard time getting excited for it before we even got to that game. Coach Willie Fritz, he was gone. Yep. You had so many players who had already jumped ship, gotten into the transfer portal. You had no idea who was going to play. We knew that Michael Pratt was going to be ineligible, basically. And, and because they had already even announced their new head coach, but he wasn't going to be the coach for yeah. the poll, you had Slade Nagel, the defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. as the interim head coach. You were just kind of like, this is a throwaway game. At least that's what it kind of felt like to me. Yeah. It, felt, it felt very much like a throwaway game, and to watch the way Tulane played... I almost kind of wonder if they felt that way a little bit, too. It was nice to see Kai Horton get out there and play. You know, that was not necessarily a guarantee. There were many rumors of him potentially hitting the transfer portal. We also got to see a strong performance overall by Tulane's, I would say, defense in the first half before things kind of got out of hand going into the end of the game. Uh, you know, it, at that point, it's a talent evaluation. Do you want to stay with this team, or are you looking to boost yourself or wherever you're transferring out to? So... For the players that did play, good on them. For the ones that were able to go out there and, you know, put on a good interview for the next edition of the Green Wave, you know, I think that it's going to do them well, but I don't know if that's going to be enough to get that team back to conference championship level immediately. However, they did still put on a very good year. Yep, totally agree. Um, And you mentioned Kai Horton. Kai Horton, one of the two-lane players, he was the backup quarterback to Michael Pratt, who had entered the transfer portal but still played for Tulane in this bowl game. He was supposed to alternate snaps with Justin Ibieta, who is the third-string quarterback. And that was what was happening throughout the first uh, quarter and a half of Mm -hmm. the game until Ibieta ended up getting injured. Kai Horton would have to take the remaining snaps for the game. They didn't make a big to-do about it, but that's what happened. If you wondered why it started out kind of 50-50 and then all you saw was Kai Horton, that was why. Uh, he didn't have a good game, but he didn't have mm-hmm. a bad game. He had kind of a very mediocre game. Uh, but to your point, it was. It was very much a talent evaluation. John Summerall's coming in. He's got high hopes. He left Troy uh, after a 10-win season over there to take the job over at Tulane. And he has made some very bold promises and predictions for next year with what he had to work with, or at least what he saw in the bowl game. Do Tulane and John Summerall come together so that both can have a third straight 10-win season? What do you think, Don? You know, I think when it comes to at least next year, 
this team is probably going to be preseason projected with their schedule to make 10 wins. And I don't see why they don't have the ability to in that conference. However, it is going to be a challenge to see what you do without Michael Pratt. Because although he did not have quite the upper echelon season some people thought he would, he still was one of the top quarterbacks you've seen, particularly during his entire career in the modern era for Tulane. Now, you will either excel past on what he had, or you will uh, regress. And that dynamic is going to be what I think changes this Tulane team. The defense, in my opinion, is still going to be strong, but we've seen this with other group of five teams. Think about UTSA, some other darlings here and there. If they get picked apart during the transfer portal, it is very hard for them to have back-to-back successful championship seasons. Yes, yeah. indeed. Brett, you want to weigh in? We know how much you love Tulane. Well, I, I think the modern-day bowl games, the exception to the playoffs, are no way to judge a team or its capabilities, even with my dislike of Tulane. Because in the NIL and playoff era, many players view it as too much of a risk for too little reward to play. And if you look at the playing of Tulane, it clearly wasn't their full team in the same way you can't judge FSU with their thing at Georgia. Like, Beating or playing a team where half the players, and in this case the coach, is out, are you really playing the same team you played the entire year? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think in this era, bowl seasons are no way to judge a team unless it's the playoffs. Indeed. And to that point, we mentioned it wasn't just Willie Fritz who was out as far as on the coaching side. There were a number of coaching appointments. Um, as we mentioned, there were even two grad assistants who jumped in to yeah. take some defensive coaching positions for Tulane. So it was not the Tulane Green Wave team that you saw all season. And that's kind of why I wanted to start with them. Not that I want to just brush it aside, but it's not fair to talk about how the team did when it wasn't the team that it was going to be, could have been, would have been, should have been. If this is a Tulane team that maybe gets as high as 12 yeah. next year, and finds a way to kind of pony in at the very bottom end of the 12-team playoff, you're going to see a very different two-lane team, even if it was this year. You would have seen a very different two-lane team than the one that showed up for the GoBowling.com Military Bowl. So that's pretty much all I needed to say yeah. about two-lane. Glorified exhibition game, it was an opportunity for John Summerall to see what he's going to be working with, what kind of changes he needs to make in the offseason to get ready for next season. Uh, I, for one, having grown up on Broadway, not too far away from Tulane University, am excited to see what John Summerall is going to do next season. But now we just got to wait and see uh, and see how it unfolds. When you said Broadway for a second there, I was about to ask, I was growing up in New York like. <laughs> no, not that Broadway. Yeah, it's it, Well, yeah, no, New Orleans has a Broadway as well, but, you know, a little, a little yeah, different. Different things happen there. Yeah, not as many theaters on Broadway up in New Orleans. All right, let's move it on. Y'all ready? Yeah, let's go and do it. LSU! We're moving on to the ReliaQuest Bowl, where LSU beats Wisconsin, badgered the Badgers 35-31. to And I got to say this. This game was so great to watch. Not only because it was the most interesting ball game of ball season with how close the score was, mm. but I don't know if y'all remember 2016, the opening game 
In case I we don't, it. take us back. Uh, well, 2016, I was a freshman in college, and me and my friend Josh Jeffs decided this was the year LSU wins the Natty for whatever dumb reasons through preseason hype. And we were going to play a nobody, Wisconsin. It was a guaranteed win. So we went to the newly opened walk-ons, and we watched LSU get its butt kicked um, for four quarters. That which, if you remember the very end, led to an LSU player getting suspended because he punched a Wisconsin player in the face on the field. And that was the only thing satisfying about watching the game. But here we are, however many years later, um, and we kicked their butts in a bowl game, which matters more than a regular season game. Mm-hmm. So I am a happy man. Well, I am happy that you are happy. And I'm glad that you thought that that game was a good game because for a while I did not share that opinion. Yeah. LSU had to win in a fourth quarter comeback after falling 14 nothing early. And after watching what Tulane did in the Go, Milita- the Go Bowling Military Bowl, I was afraid that we were going to see very much a repeat of that in the, uh, in the Relia Quest Bowl. Uh, but they did. They came back, and they were able to win it on the heels of their fantastic offense uh, that did not have it its star quarterback yeah. or play caller. Yeah. Mike Denbrock was not a part of that coaching staff uh, because he's already taken a new position. So they had co-offensive coordinators calling the plays with Garrett Nussmeyer earlier in the season. We dealt with the Jaden hate. We talked about people mm, wanting to yeah. get aboard the Nuss bus. We got a chance to get on the Nuss bus for a full game. And I'm going to ask you guys, thoughts on Garrett Nussmeyer? Um, so I'll be honest with you. As I was watching the first quarter, even going through, I guess, the majority of the first half, it was what I expected from Garrett Nussmeyer. But it was the Garrett Nussmeyer that, you know, I watched in a cold Tiger Stadium in 2021 play against Arkansas where he started the majority of the game, although he did not start. That Nuss was someone who certainly still has the arm he has today, certainly can throw the ball around the field, and is a very talented quarterback but has not honed in his skills to be able to sort of go that extra step that you see from, and I'm going to be very gentle how I approach this here, and I think we all do as LSU fans going forward. A elite LSU quarterback, be it Jaden, be it Burrow. Those are always going to become, you know, we thought the shelf got elevated when Burrow got here. Now uh, Jaden has put it at, again, that same level, if not higher. And it's going to become a thing that LSU fans have to temper themselves to. Not every quarterback is going to be a Heisman Trophy winner. As much as we would love to see it, it is not going to be the case. Are you sure about that? I would certainly hope I'm I'm sure about that. But at the end of the day, the math is the math. But what the math ended up saying by the end of the game was that Garrett Nussmeyer has had a very elite level performance. He took care of his job, and the Tigers were able to show a competent and similar uh, offensive performance as they had the entire rest of the season, scoring that 35 points, showing flexibility to score through the air and on the ground. Shout out to Harold Perkins for hopping across the offense to uh, run it in like he did back in high school there. Four-star running back prospect coming out of high school. Don't forget that, everyone. And at the end of the day, the Tigers won, but they did not dominate. They did not. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say the line, good teams win, 
great teams cover. And that was a little bit of an underwhelming performance for what we thought from the Tigers. Ten points favorites going in, winning by four. Um, I'll throw it to producer Brett here. What did you think seeing that performance? Well, the first half of the game, I believe I texted you this during the game. I said the Nuss Bus's wheels are flat. Um, (laughs) Because I was like, what are you doing, man? There was the, I believe there's two interceptions. Am I wrong on that? You are wrong. He threw one interception. One interception. It felt like two, but there, there, he threw an interception. Um, he was just the one issue I noticed a lot was him throwing it out of bounds. Yeah, he was throwing these beautiful, like what would be beautiful ca- catches to receivers that were completely open, but he'd throw it, throw it a little bit too high or a little bit too far. Where if they want to catch it, they have to go out of bounds. Um, and that worried me a lot. But then in the second half of the game i'm not sure if you just got the fright the initial jitters of starting out whatever he improved vastly he put some airs in the bus's tires and then it was smooth sailing from there um i was never scared during the game because i often like to watch the coach scans like when they cut to the coaches what the coach looks like mm-hmm. and even when we were losing brian kelly had a big smile on his face same with the dual offensive coordinators and the Wisconsin coach was like the end of this the entire time yeah. uh, for the audio listeners. I'm crossing my arms, the very stern face. And I'm like, you know, I've seen Brian Kelly as much as we hate to remember during the FSU game when the whole thing is falling apart. And that is not what he looked like. So I was like, and this we're talking about the coach who's the most W's in all of college football. So I, I knew from the beginning we would ultimately win the game just by how the coaches felt. So, so I want to echo some of those sentiments uh, and offer some of my own. I thought Nuss looked good. Yeah. I don't think he looked great. I don't think he looked elite. I didn't share the same excitement watching Garrett Nussmeyer in the ReliaQuest Bowl than I shared watching Jaden Daniels through most of his performances through the regular season. Um, but these were his stats. You know I'm a numbers guy. Yeah, he went 31 of 45. That's not bad. They not at all. had to throw the ball 45 times, completed 31. That's just under 70% completion. 68.9%. 395 yards. That's, that's a lot of yards. Very lot of yards. That nuts bust, it traveled. Um, 8.8 average yard per completion. At the end of the season, Jaden Daniels was throwing 10 average yards yeah. per completion. So this, the number's not bad. Three touchdowns, one pick. Long of 43, which that is a thing I want to get into. Quarterback rating of 160.2. That's not bad at all. Those are great numbers. Here's the thing I'm worried about Garrett Nussmeyer in the future. You talked about he looked flat. The The tires of the Nuss bus were flat. Yeah. I don't disagree. However, I feel like maybe on the, on the converse side, they were over-aired. Mm. And what I mean by that is he needs to control that arm a little bit. Garrett Nussmeyer's got arm for days. That's a great point, and and that's sort of what I was alluding to. He has the ability to throw, you know, a just absolute cannon of an arm, but he tends to lead to loft balls very high. And we saw multiple receivers come in having to make outstanding leaps, you know, I'll give them that, but they ended up missing the ball to try and catch some of those high balls. I don't have the stat, but I would dare say on his long passes – 
passes where he had to put the ball in the air for 30, 35, 40-plus yards. Yeah. He probably went, I don't know, 40% or less completion. I don't think he completed as many as he threw. He had a lot of overthrows. Uh, Brett, to your point, he did have a lot where the angle was off. Yeah. And if yeah. he would have, if he would have kept it more inbounds, if he would have, if he would have tempered that angle back more instead of hitting the the extremes and the sidelines, you'd have had far different outcomes in a number of those plays. I think that's going to be the big thing that he's going to have to work on next season is getting that cannon under control. You don't want to just buckshot in that cannon and hit what you hit. You've got to be able to hit pinpoint targets. You played Wisconsin, and you came from behind in the fourth quarter to win. Malik Neighbors sat out the second half. Yep. After he got his record, he was done. Yep. You did have Brian Thomas. He was out there for the majority. Oh, uh, Kyron Lacey. He did a, a number in the passing game as well as the rushing game. You had some some great receivers out there, mm-hmm. but Brian Thomas won't be there next season. He's declared for the draft. Mm-hmm. You've got to be in control, Garrett Nussmeyer, of all those things. I'm glad that you can throw the ball 90 yards, but can you throw it 90 yards on a dime? Can you put it exactly where it needs to be so only your receivers can get it and you don't have to worry about giving up interceptions to Alabama or uh, who else we have coming in ne- new Oklahoma, next year? I think we've got, got Oklahoma. Ole Miss, you know. Yep, Ole Miss is going to be a team to play. The yep. way that they've been playing lately, they're working on trying to improve their status. You want to make it into the top 12. You want to be in the conversation. You don't want to be the guy that replaces Jaden Daniels. You want to be the guy that came. You want to be the guy that Jaden Daniels came before. Yeah. Control, my dog. That's what you've got to work on in the offseason. Otherwise, I think he had a great game. I'll throw it out to the comments real quick. Um, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a conversation here. This is from Ian talking about the strong criticisms from coaches after a lot of these bowl games are sort of being altered with the effects of NIL and the transfer portal. But I think that was one aspect, particularly for Wisconsin. Uh, Most of their offensive firepower was gone, and we still had the defense end up letting 31 points fly by. So with that, and then with the news today, where the entire defensive coaching staff is basically said, you know what, please enjoy your next career. I'm sorry. For the fans out there who I know will appreciate this reference, what was said to the LSU coaching staff was, we wish them the best of luck in all their future endeavors. They got future endeavor today. Um, And that's that's totally the case. In case you hadn't heard the news, uh, good morning. Thank you for coming out from under your rock. It is all over all of the medias, the social medias and what have you. Including the boot sports media. Correct. Yes. And, and, and this was Brian Kelly. And Brian <laughs> Kelly said, defied. So hold on. If you're going to do that, I need you to do it a couple of times because I'm going to run through the list of names that are no longer there. You ready, Brett? Yes. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll go low to high. All right. Uh, starting with, uh, let's see. Cornerbacks hmm. coach Robert Steeples. Defied. Uh, safety's coach, Kerry Cooks. You're fired. 
Uh, let's see. Defensive line coach Jimmy Lindsay. You are fired. And defensive coordinator Matt House. You are very much fired. As a matter of fact, the only defensive coaches that they kept were John Jancic and outside linebackers coach Bob Diaco. Now, I'm, I'm not going to say that that's uh, convenient, but if you look at uh, some of the LSU players' tweets throughout the day, you know, Harold Perkins said it best, it's not so fun when the rabbit has a gun. And uh, it looks <laughs> like that may have not just come from the top, but from within the locker room. Look, we don't need to spend a lot of time on the stats. Our defense was trash. We spent a lot of time this yeah, season was. talking about how well, trash this defense was. The, the tragedy truly is we had probably the best quarterback LSU has ever seen. Yeah. If you give Jaden statistically reported, it, it's Burrow. Um, and no, no, nothing against Burrow. I love Burrow. Yeah. Hell, he, he's on one of these newspapers on the wall. It's a dual But with system. that being said, you had neighbors. You had Jaden. You had one of the one of, if not the best, offensive factories in the history of LSU, if not college football itself. You look at a game like Ole Miss, where we scored what fifty four points yep. and lost. If we had not just LSU, who's always been known for our defense, if we had not just a passable defense, but like, I mean, not an LSU average defense, just like. A mid defense, a defense in, I don't know, the top 50. Now, I'm not saying top 10. I'm saying like normal defense. We would have beat every team we played. But no, we, we had one of if not the worst defenses I've ever seen LSU have in my life. If we had a defense to the caliber of the national, of Joe Burrow in the national championship defense, with Jaden Daniels in this offense, I'm a hot take. They'd have made Joe Burrow's offense a footnote. Oh, absolutely. Yep. If you got more interceptions, if you were able to create turnovers. The only difference between the 2019 team that would have kept them, first and foremost, the greatest team to ever do it, is the fact that the schedule was such that LSU then played more top 10 teams yep. than this season LSU would have. True. But LSU uh, this season statistically would have blown by them in every major category. And I'll take uh, one two. more antidote real quick here. Mm-hmm. Looking at this team, you started the season, and this is partially due to many causes, so prepare for this. This defense, you started with what was supposed to be Deuce Chestnut out there on the side, got a pick in the Florida State game. We thought this is going to be your anchor out there. You know, of your defense, you had Greg Brooks in the secondary, who is a veteran senior coming in, very talented player, trying to make a higher ranking in the draft. And then you have a high-profile transfer from Texas A&M come over trying to get his career right, coming back to Louisiana. And you saw, for circumstances both controlled with the two cornerbacks and uncontrolled with Greg Brooks tragically going through his procedure that he had to go through, the whole thing fall apart. Now, what was different from your average LSU defense? You look at someone who was solid, Makai Wingo, injured midway through the season at a critical point. You saw what he did during the bowl game, was able to keep the line intact. We see why he's wearing 18. You see someone like Mason Smith also took quite a while to warm back up after recovering from the ACL surgery. 
And then you take a look at something else, which I think we didn't really delve into too much this year. What were we doing with Harold Perkins? It changed every couple weeks. This is your highest profile linebacker as well as Whit Weeks, who was an emerging young player trying to make a name for himself and get established in this system. And yet you're moving him around. You're not putting him in during critical moments in the game. And then you had the coach come to the podium and say, you know what? I think we should have played him more. You don't say, Brian. You don't say. It's not even so much that we should have played him more. We should have played him better. Exactly. We should have been smarter with where we put him and the assignments that we gave him. And that was why there was such a clean house on defense today, got, Brett? earlier today. For the majority of the season, I was a Matt House apologist, at which I sorely regret. Because last year, we won games with our defense that was led by him. Um, almost every game we went in the half, sometimes double digits in score under what our competition had. And then we won the majority of those games. And it was BC is so damn good at adjusting. This year, I didn't see him adjust once. Not to, <laughs> apparently, he didn't watch a single bit of film. I think I watched more film on Bama than he did. Dear God, Jalen Milrow is pro- one of the worst quarterbacks Bama has had in probably the last 20 years. A, a mid-tier okay quarterback. I'm not going to say he's terrible, but he's he's not great by any means. Matt House made him look like he's a Heisman winner. Oh, wow. He's are they, What are they going to do? Is he going to run it again like they've done every other game? Oh, what are we going to do? Spy every play? Like, it, it, I, when, I, I often joke about NCAA and ha-ha-ha, me being coach or whatever, but I, I have always admitted I'm great at choosing offensive plays on NCAA, but I've always struggled with running a defense. But my God, I could have ran a better defense that day than Matt House did. And I don't know anything about defense. Lord. All right, so let's talk about defense now. Yes. Now that Matt House is gone, will become? number of other coaches, who do you think are the prime candidates for LSU's new defensive coordinator position? One. And based on who you think, does Brian Kelly meet, exceed, or fall short next season of that nine-win threshold that he just kind of keeps falling at? Um, Jesse Minter is probably number one on um, Brian Kelly's list. He is Michigan's defensive coordinator. And um, I bring this up because y'all may agree, disagree, what have you. But there's about three to four teams in the NFL right now who are looking for coaches. And I bet the money that Jim Harbaugh, after winning the Natty or being the runner-up to winning the Natty, will probably run to the Chargers for that bigger check. And if he does, Jesse Minter is going to be looking for a job. And assuming he doesn't get the head coach position, that job will probably be with us at LSU. And I want to go on to say, I doubt very seriously that Brian Kelly would have fired the entirety of the defensive staff if he did not already have several options lined up, ready to go to replace. And I'm surprised he waited this long to do it. 
Um, so I do think next season will be better than this season because football is a systems game. And I think Brian Kelly, he came in with 32 scholarship players and despite, and the offense has only been getting better. Even with Den Brack gone, I think once he puts, he now has recruits to go to. We're now starting to build a secondary. I think if he does choose the right coach, which I trust Brian Kelly has more wins than any other coach in all football, possible that is, I, I think he will pick someone good who will run the defense competently. And I think that's all we'll need to do to achieve more than 10 wins. All right, Donald, what about you? What do you think? So I look at this a couple different ways. I understand that this team, more than anything, requires sort of a complete revamp in the way how the defense is run. And this is something that comes before the Brian Kelly era. One of the biggest gripes about the post-Natty Ogeron eras was the failure of tackling the inability to perform on the outside when it came to coverage. And this continued for the most part after the Matt House era because while Brett was correct earlier, they were able to hold in the second half of most games last year. They also allowed major leads to be developed on them in the first half. We look at Tennessee last year as one of a big one that absolutely they blew the door out at the beginning of the game and it was very hard for the Tigers to have any sort of chance to mount a comeback. That was a very hot day in Tiger Stadium. Not very fun. Um, but now, as we move forward, I think what I want to see, and right now I'm probably leaning towards, I feel like what I saw from North Carolina State this year was pretty dominating. Now, if their defensive coordinator is able to be poached by Brian Kelly and come into our program, I feel like we would be in a good position. I'm going to give you some numbers from some of the performances that he had. Now, these are a bit varied, but bear with me. Some of the bigger games of the year, we look at a game against Louisville, ended up playing for the ACC Championship, held them to 13 points, and overall a pretty abysmal performance by their offense. Uh, whenever they went and took the win against Clemson, that was a pretty big one, holding them to 17 points. Overall, in most major games against major opponents, keeping them under 31 points would be suffice in the effort to match the performance by theoretically whoever does get the offensive coordinator role who I am predicting at this time to be Joe Sloan. That is a bit too high level of a talent to just let walk off. We have to protect ourselves after we already have lost our offensive coordinator, Mike Denbrock, and seeing what Joe Sloan has done with a talent like Jaden Daniels, bringing him from very good and competent to elite. I think that's exactly what Nussmeyer would need. Um, I'll once again shout out Ian in the chat here talking about worried about the mobility with Nuss. I think that's where it really gets down to the coaching level. You have to take these players that are already very strong athletes and show them how the system can save them from any deficiencies they have. At the end of the day, if you are not using the athlete properly, you get less than what they are capable of doing. And that's what we need to see particularly from this off from this defensive coordinator we hire and all of his staff because we need to hire a whole staff everyone's gone all you have is linebackers looking at that in particular your cornerbacks room is now filled with players who have a year of experience that should have in normal circumstances maybe gotten four games at most so it's a very unique opportunity to take a lot of returning players that otherwise would have normally not had the chance to gain that experience 
and turn it into a super class. You already have some very strong names coming in through recruiting. Add to that with what you grew and developed this year, and you have a unique opportunity if you take the role as the LSU Tigers defensive coordinator. So to piggyback on that point, talking about Nussmeyer's mobility, um, Garrett Nussmeyer is a very pro-style quarterback. Absolutely. He is not going to be a Lamar Jackson type. Uh, he is yeah. not going to be a very mobile quarterback type. So you definitely are going to want to make sure that, especially through recruiting, you do end up with some names back there that can either give him protection or can provide that mobility that he will not. Uh, speaking about um, speaking about recruitment, uh, we have already talked about uh, one in-state high-level recruit, that being Juwan Johnson from Lafayette Christian. Uh, he has been picked up uh, along with a number of others in this year's signing day class. Uh, he actually broke the state record as a quarterback for career yards, but he's going to be playing cornerback for LSU in years to come. And this news just broke earlier today, hours ago, in the uh, 2025 class. Uh, LSU has achieved another top in-state commit, yep. that being running back Harlem Berry from St. Martin's Episcopal. So there are some big names to keep your eyes on in the high school ranks, especially here in the boot, that could hopefully have some big, big impacts once they make it to Tiger Stadium. So that's Absolutely. fun. That's exciting. Uh, we are going to keep eyes on the LSU football program in the offseason. We're going to see how that restructuring goes, who Brian Kelly decides to surround him with offensively and defensively, and what will that mean for the LSU Tigers? Donald, did you say that you thought – how did you think they were going to do? What do you think is going to happen? Are we going to see better than, equal to, or less than nine games from the LSU Tigers next season? I think next season – I will go with the assumption we don't have any more major transfer outs and say that 10 is very likely. Um, this was once again a season where I think nine happened because there was circumstances, be it an end-of-the-year game or a end-of-the-year game, beginning or end, uh, that caused us to stumble. Florida State at the beginning was a Achilles heel. We were not the team that we needed to be to beat them. You look at last year when we played A&M. We needed to be a healthy team. We were far from it, and it ended up costing us a chance to potentially have a chance at the playoff. This is going to, once again, boil down to can the coaching staff, now almost about really only 40% of a staff, get it together, go through spring, remain healthy, and be ready to go whenever the season starts in August. So I have no idea who I would even think that Brian Kelly is going to surround him with because the options are so vast. I will say, I think he's shooting for 10 next season. I think 10 is the mark to hit. When you have two consecutive nine-win seasons, uh, you've got to show 10 or better. So yeah. I'm going to go with 10 on that one. And I'll add, I think I'm going for 12. I, are you going with what you think they're going to do or what you want them to do? I, I think what I think we're going to do. I've looked at our schedule USC is a poverty pony of the Pac-12. That's who we start off with in Vegas, mind you. Um, Oklahoma is our last game. Oklahoma, uh, I believe their mascot is the most overhyped team every year. Oh, no, that's just what they are. Sorry. Um, and then um, what is a boomer sooner anyway? Um, 
And it's like, Bama, if they're sticking with Jalen that which I believe they are, and they're losing more and more players to transfer pro layer, we lost to Bama not only due to sloppy officiating, but half of our team was injured, and we had no good next man ups. This year, we actually have, going in, we actually have a secondary with this new recruiting class that's fairly good. And seeing what Brian Kelly's done in the past at LSU, i.e. the 2022 season, where he came on with 32 scholarship players and then won the SEC, now with three years in the program, in the state, in the city, um, building up, he poached NFL talent to create his team for the last two years. And now he has three years. I think he's just going to get better talent than he had before. And I, I do not see a team... The only uh, two teams that scare me are Ole Miss and A&M yep. because A&M has the money for all of the best players in the world, but now they have a, comp- a semi-competent coach, and that prospect is a scary prospect to me. However, again, because they've been such a dumpster fire program for They're the past five years, almost all their players transferred out, so they'd be lucky to be A and 4. And when it comes to Ole Miss, we're mad We'll be mad because of last year. We'll be playing them at home. And on moreover, um, Lane Kiffin always stumbles in the midseason. It just always happens. He was he was lucky to beat us this year because our receiver dropped the ball quite literally. Um, so, yeah, I, I think 12-0. and 0, um, Go Tigers. All right. We'll mark that down. We'll, uh, we'll circle back around this time next year. We'll see how you did. We've got some Saints football that we've got to move on to talk about. Before we do, nowadays, everybody has something to say, but not everyone has a way to say it. Not anymore. Omega Sound and Entertainment, proud partners of the Boot Sports Network and equipment providers for Boots to Balls, would like to introduce Omega Sound Mobile Podcasting. They can show up wherever you are with all the gear and expertise you'll need, recording, editing, producing, even publishing, whatever level of help you need, they are happy to provide. Omega Sound Mobile Podcasting is available now. For more information, check out omegasounddjs.com or give them a call, 985-503-3357, 985-503-3357. Let's do it. Okay, and, of course, we'll throw it real quick over to McNeil Engineering, a big fan here. Oh, I thought we were going to do that one later. Oh, we'll do it right now because, you know, why wait? Um, okay. And, of course, they provide comprehensive design services, including land surveying, high-definition scanning, landscape architecture, consulting services to the private and public sectors. They are committed to de- delivering timely, responsive, and economical design solutions. For over 30 years, McNeil Engineering has thrived on establishing personal relationships and providing quality design to their clients. They immerse themselves in each project and become a part of the team. To thoroughly understand the customer's vision, they care about the economics of the project and, more importantly, the satisfaction of each customer. Project deadlines are an absolute and not a goal. Once again, we thank McNeil Engineering. All right, now... Okay, okay, all right, we got two Saints games to talk about again. Yes. We weren't here last week, so we got to do a quick recap. Saints Rams game. No, I really don't want to. Saints dropped to seven and eight in that blowout loss. It was thirty to twenty-two, which on paper doesn't sound like a blowout. Nah, I was right there, but it, Dave. We had but it chance. was. 
It was a, it was an absolute blowout. Saints got blasted, twenty-seven to seven through the third quarter. Uh, it wasn't until they had a fifteen-point fourth quarter that they even looked to still have a chance in that game. Uh, and that was that was one that we kind of talked about. Donald, I know Brett's been yeah. out for the past couple of weeks. This was one that I expected to be the more challenging, the most challenging game Absolutely. of their remaining, their last four in the schedule. Yeah, but it was, I, I certainly didn't think it was going to go down like that. Um, sadly, that loss made the Saints' road to the playoffs a bit more challenging. Not impossible, just maybe improbable. Yeah. Uh, but even as we speak, right, right now, now, Saints are still alive. They got a chance. Why? Because the Saints slapped the Buccaneers 23-13 to 13 the following week, giving Tampa the receipt from the beating that they gave us at home earlier in the year. The Saints led throughout. They shut Tampa out 20 to nothing through three quarters, which was so great mm. to watch. It was Derek Carr's second best game of the season as a New Orleans Saint. Juwan Johnson had a huge game until he sustained an injury to the chest late in the game. That has actually kept him out of practice yep. even through today. He was not, it was a non participant today. Alvin Kamara was also injured in that game. He's questionable for this weekend coming. He was also not at practice today. Chris Olave was. He was a limited participant with an ankle injury that he picked up on Sunday. So Jamal Williams got a lot of the carries. Still not. For Alvin Kamara. Still no touchdowns. Hashtag let Jamal score. One. 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 I'm telling you, I got a chance to hang out with Jamal Williams. Not that I get a chance to hang out with players. But Jamal Williams and I happened to be at the same autograph signing before the Saints preseason. And I got a chance to chat with him. And I would love to get a chance to chat with him again now to see how his mindset has changed from preseason to almost potentially end of the season. He came into New Orleans wanting to do so much with such a chip on his shoulder. And I'm going to say it. He has been severely underutilized. Quite. Severely. Look, and there's no disrespect to Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara is a franchise record holder. But you can't take a guy like Jamal Williams from Denver, not from Denver, from Detroit, who did the things that he did and pay the man at that and not do anything with him. I don't mm. know that Jamal Williams has more than a hundred yards on the season. He Blown probably does. Right that's, that's an exaggeration. But I tell you what, when Jamal Williams scores his first touchdown, God willing, let it be this Sunday. He is going, I, I would imagine on the inside, he's going to be over the moon. He's either going to be over the moon, super excited He's going to have something to say about it in a post-game press conference. Or he's going to be like, about effing time. About effing time. 34 total yards on the year. With a 334 total on the year. 17 yards. So that's keeping wow. in mind that Alvin, now he was injured for a couple of games. Yeah. But he was the primary running back while Alvin Kamara was injured, or, or not injured, suspended earlier in the season. And the primary Still back only. in Detroit at that I mean, let that man get one. Let him have one. I don't understand why why it's so hard to do. 
Jamal Williams will run it from the 10 to the 2, and then let's put an Alvin Kamara and let him grab. Jamal, did that work? Man, let him have one. Give, Jam- give Jamal a potato chip. Something, throw something at him. Anyway, uh, we'll see. Maybe Jamal, depending on how Alvin does this week, if Alvin is out against the, the uh, Falcons, Jamal will be in. Maybe he'll get his touchdown. Uh, we will see. But uh, if Alvin Kamara is questionable, uh, I think we've figured out Derek Carr. Not, I mean, not Derek Carr. Dennis Allen enough to know that that means he's probably going to play. Yeah. Even if he should. So, play. so let's say the Saints beat the Falcons. I'm glad does you're asking mean, this question. Yeah. I know exactly ahead. where you're going go with ahead, it. Go with it. Does that mean they then get into the playoffs? Question mark. Not oh. exactly. So okay. the Saints' road to the playoffs is still open. They can still make it to the playoffs. Um, in there are two scenarios, and in both of the scenarios, they have to win. Yes. If they lose, they're out no matter what. Doesn't matter. They will lose any of the tiebreakers that they have. So, if they beat Atlanta, this is scenario one where the Saints can still take the, the division. NFC South is still up for grabs. The Saints okay. beat the Falcons, and the two and fourteen Carolina Panthers can, for some reason, find a way to beat Tampa Bay. Keeping in mind, Carolina has really nothing to play for. Tampa Bay is still playing to win the division. Yep. If Tampa Bay wins, they win the division. That's just that is it. That's how that works. If Carolina somehow finds a way to beat Tampa, Saints beat Atlanta, Saints jump over everybody, they take the division. Now, if Saints beat Atlanta, Tampa Bay beats Carolina. Okay? Tampa Bay takes the NFC South. The Saints can still claim the seventh seed, the last available wild card spot, if, and only if, Arizona beats Seattle, plus Chicago beats Green Bay and Lambeau in January. I, I did not know that either Arizona or Seattle had an NFL team. The Cardinals and the Seahawks. Insightful, producer Brent. I'll add. That's one why you're caveat. a producer and not a co-host. I'll add matter one, one caveat here. Um, and this hasn't been talked about, nor do I think it will happen. Definitely not pre-planned. That's not being talked about by any particular script, which may or may not exist. It doesn't, but it might. If Carolina wanted to be painfully difficult, for the sake of being painfully difficult. And they tied the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, maybe as a retaliation for David Tepper's $300,000 $300, fine. The Saints, with a win versus Atlanta, would still win the NFC South. No one talks about the tie, but it's out there. And Wait, what do you mean by tie? So, if it, the, so if the in the NFL... Bay, yes, go ahead. In the NFL, so the NFL overtime rules and college overtime rules different. You're not going to end a college game with a tie most often. Oh, hell no. But you can end an NFL game in a tie. So in overtime in an NFL game, you get an extra overtime period. period. It's 10 minutes. It's not the full 15. Okay? Now, if you get the ball first, you drive down, you score a touchdown, that's it, see by game over. 
because the best that the other team can do is tie. They're trying to end the game. They don't, whatever. It's, it's a sudden death scenario. However, if you get the ball first, you go down, you kick a field goal. The other team then has one opportunity with the ball on offense. If they kick a field goal to tie, then the game continues, moves on to sudden death. The next person to score wins. We all go home. Or if they would go down and score a touchdown, their touchdown beats your field goal. They win. You go home. If at the end of 10 minutes, nobody scores and it remains tied, then each team goes home with a tie. Nobody wins. Nobody loses. That's how you get these teams with records of 10-6-1. and one. Somewhere they had a tie with another team. They went to overtime, battled it out. Nobody could do it. The NFL doesn't want to sit there and have these guys beating the snot out of each other for 19 overtimes. It's a tie. See you bye. Let's not forget that this rule was number one put in place because the Saints beat the Vikings in the NFC Championship game in 2009 to secure a path to the Super Bowl, and everyone was upset that Brett Favre didn't get the ball. Secondly, let's not forget that there has not been a tie in the NFL this season. This would be the first season in many years where there was no tie. If there was a time to have That's a tie. That's awful. It's like soccer. If there was a... Well, there's usually only one per year. A little year higher scoring than soccer. But, um... If there was a tie... Is this the only season in recorded NFL history not yet to throw a tie? I think it would be in recent history. I haven't... Well, in my lifetime, it's been a while since I've seen a season yeah, without a tie. What, Brett? Law of averages say what now? Law of averages would say then there's the most probability within the next weeks for there to be a tie then, correct? That's the only probability. That is the only probability. That's the last game of the regular season. Yeah. And wouldn't it be convenient if the two games that are on at the exact same time, thank you NFL flexing every single game in week 18, that the one that determines a divisional championship ends in a tie? In case you're asking, Brett, if our game ends in a tie, Tampa wins the division. Yes. That is clear. Unless I just want to mention that if both the Saints and Tampa in a tie, Tampa wins. Wait, but uh, what happens if Tampa loses and we and Atlanta tie? Then we win because we would have a slightly Dude. higher win percentage at 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one versus 8-9. and nine. So basically, no, but if we, Atlanta... But, if, but hold on, wait, wait, wait. If Tampa loses... Correct, and we and tie... we Atlanta. lose... Atlanta takes the division. That's correct. That is their only power. So, so, if we tied, Tampa loses, we just how do sit we on still the have the edge? Yeah. As long as Tampa loses, we sit on the ball, we win. No kidding. And what's going to infuriate more Saints fans is what I'm about to tell you right now. Did you know Please that right now, this team that is fighting with every tooth and nail for a playoff spot is ranked 12th in the league in passing yards per game, that this team is fighting, and that's the Saints' passing yards, not the defensive numbers, that this team that is fighting tooth and nail for a playoff spot has above average points for, meaning the offense is effective at scoring more than the average team in the NFL. Well, that that leads me to my next question. Donald, real quick, do you... Do the stats support slash do y'all think the Saints deserve to be in the playoffs? I'm going to say it very bluntly, and I've heard only a few say it otherwise. This team is a team of fool's gold. 
If you look at who the Saints have beat, it is primarily the bottom feeders of the NFL. There have been one or two quality wins, mostly the Tampa win and the Colts win. The rest of these teams are largely the bottom feeders, be it Chicago, be it Tampa, be it, sorry, not Tampa, excuse me, be it Carolina, amongst others that were just not going to have a chance to win. Yeah. So then you look at who we could have beat. We had a 18 to nothing lead in the fourth quarter against Green Bay. We lost that game. We outscored the Lions by almost 20 points in the second half of the Lions game, and we lost that one. And we had every chance to go down and score the ball and take the victory in Minnesota, and we lost that one. So every time the Saints have been put up against a quality team with a chance or advantage to win the game, they drop the ball. It would be very irresponsible to assume that if they made the playoffs, it would be a competitive game. But crazier things have happened. So I'm going to answer your question, Brett, in just a second. I forgot Atlanta is not – we don't share a record with Atlanta. Atlanta is 7-9. and nine, So in my – what would happen if they tied, Atlanta would finish 7-9-1. and one. We'd be 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. Tampa would be 8-9 and nine with a loss to Carolina. So we would have the best record in the uh, in the NFC South. Yes. Now, to answer... Atlanta has to beat us in Tampa's lose. To answer your question, Brett, there are seven teams that are going to go in the playoffs from the NFC. You asked, okay. do the Saints deserve to be there? There has to be a representative from the NFC South. Because the top four seeds are the division champs. Okay? You get the best team in each division. North, south, east, and west. Right now, you have Dallas and Philadelphia in the east, both with 11 wins. They're both 11 and 5. Okay? One of those is going to be probably the second or third seed. And then the other is going to be the fifth seed, most likely. In the NFC North, you have Detroit with 11 wins. Okay? In the NFC West, you have San Francisco, who's the current top seed. They've got 12 wins. They also have the Rams with 9 wins. They might finish with 10, if depending on how they do next week. Playing when you look 49ers. at the... When you, oh, they're playing the 49ers next yeah. week? Rams and 49ers. 49ers are already in claimed... Have they cinched first seed? Maybe if not. the Rams were to beat the 49ers and Dallas wins, it would still be the 49ers, but if the Rams... So, no. San Francisco, they have clinched the division and bye. They're guaranteed yes, first seed. They, guaranteed they will first not seed. play their starters. Los Angeles has a chance. They do have a very good so, chance. To get back to my point, yes, NFC South, well, correct. right now the Saints and the Bucks are tied at the top of the division with eight and eight records. Gotcha. So if you were just to look at the top seven teams by record, not by standing or division, by record, you've got Dallas, you've got Philadelphia, both at 11 and five, Detroit, 11 and five. You've got San Francisco, 12 and 4. You've got Los Angeles, 9 and 7. That's how it stands right now. Then you've got two more spots. It could go to Green Bay, who's 8 and 8. We lost to Green Bay. They own us in the tiebreaker. You've got Tampa Bay at 8 and 8. You've got New Orleans at 8 and 8. 
And then you've got Seattle at eight and eight, but they're not even really in the hunt. They might pick up the last wild card spot, maybe. So, do we deserve to be there? Could we have beat Seattle? Maybe. 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 Uh, should we have beaten all of our division opponents? Absolutely. Handily? Yes. Should we have beaten Green Bay? Yeah. We smacked the crap out of them for three and a half quarters. Yes, we should have beat Green Bay. But we didn't. Will we? Could we contend with Dallas? Could we contend with Philadelphia? We did not contend with Detroit. Detroit made us look like we didn't belong in the conversation. Could we compete with San Francisco? We could not compete with Los Angeles. Do we deserve to be there? As somebody who is a company guy who will always pull for my team, you can't deny that the stats say no. We don't deserve to be there. But that's the glory of the game. We got our asses handed to by to us by Tampa Bay earlier in the season. They made us look bad. So we turned around and we did it back to them later on this season. Yeah. Tampa Bay is not San Francisco. Tampa Bay is not Philadelphia, who, by the way, is lost like three of their last four. Yeah. Spiral. Wow. Dem boys in Dallas? I don't know. I don't know. They're playing all I'll right this in the season. Playoffs. I, I'm telling you, and, and I said this earlier in the season, if the Saints make it to the playoffs, they'll play wildcard week. They'll, they'll play wildcard week. They probably won't make it past wildcard And I've already done the projections. I made every team that is better statistically win in the playoff machine. If the Saints win the division, they would host the Philadelphia Eagles yep. in the Superdome. Yep. Uh, my only hope is that, uh, for whatever reason, uh, Taylor Swift comes to see Brother Kelsey and not Travis. Yeah. And maybe I'll bump into her in the halls. I don't see big things happening for the Saints this postseason. I would love to be wrong. I would love... I still... I still want to be part of a Super Bowl winning team. Do I think that's this year? No. I wish it was. I would love for it to be. Realistically speaking, probably not. I'll be speculative here. Um, Assuming, because we can talk about, you know, the other teams all we want, but let's talk about the Saints. If the Saints make the playoffs, if we're playing Philadelphia, more than likely the case, or Dallas, one of the two, I think your better chances with Philadelphia. I think your historical better chance is against Philadelphia because ultimately Philadelphia playing New Orleans in the playoffs has not done them well this entire yes. millennium. Uh, it has been the 06 first rise at a playoff game. Playing them in the dome, I was there, enjoyed it greatly. Deuce had that great touchdown going right over top. You had us going up and beating Chip Kelly, led Philadelphia Eagles team in the early 2010s. Uh, and then you had 2018, where the Saints were able to once again dispose of the Eagles. So if I had to pick a prediction, pick a matchup, I'm taking the Eagles. And, you know, I don't know if the Saints can beat them, but it would sure be nice to see. It would be nice to see. I, I don't know that it's going to happen. No, probably not. So, I would, I it would be fun to see the Saints play America's team, though. 
So, you know what else would be fun to see? Right. That you probably won't see? Ever again. If, if the Saints go in at fourth seed and somehow manage to win, mm. then in the divisional round, let's just say all the lowest seeds keep winning. Oh. And the Saints at a fourth seed host an NFC the championship Super game. Bowl. You know that they won't host the Super Bowl. No. I mean, the Saints—if the Saints played in the Super Bowl next year, they would host their own Super Bowl. But yeah. that doesn't happen often. Maybe, maybe we'll see. Let's see what happens this off season. We got to get through the end of the regular season first. Indeed. We got two shots to get into the playoffs. Um, for those of you who are still participating in the live stream, what do you think? Did the Saints take the second, or not the second? They'll never. No, they're not going to take no, second. Very far. Can't bad, bad. Fourth. Will they take the fourth? Will they take the seventh? Or are they out? Are they just done? What do you think? Uh, oh. It is possible, but improbable. Uh, Seattle at eight and eight has to lose to four and twelve Arizona, and I Chicago seven and nine has to beat Green Bay at eight and eight. That's potential. That's possible. Yeah, possible. And then uh, or Carolina two and fourteen has to beat the Bucks. All right, those are uh, that's what's going on with uh, with Saints football right now. We'll come back in just a second to give our predictions for the Falcons game a little bit later on. But now we got to kick it around the boot. Kick it. Uh, we don't have a whole lot to Short get on. Segment. This is mostly a football themed show, but uh, in the vein of football and boot sports and springtime coming up right around the corner. Sadly, after two years and zero games in the boot, one boot team is done again for now. For now. Just before kickoff on Sunday, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his ex-wife and financial partner, Danny Garcia, they said, it doesn't matter about your New Orleans breakers. (laughs) Um, They made the announcement that the USFL and XFL, their merger would be called the UFL, mm. the United Football League, will be made up of eight total teams, four comprising the USFL Conference, four comprising the XFL Conference. And sadly, the Breakers were not included in any of those eight teams. Just probably because they haven't really had the opportunity to show that they have a home stadium or a, uh, uh, a home team market that would back them. And you've got some other pretty interesting markets out there. Yep. Um, you've got St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. You've got the Battle Hawks are going to be out there again. That market has been waiting. You've got San Antonio. That market's been waiting for a football mm-hmm. team. So those fans are going to show out. I get it. I I want to see the Breakers back in the Big Easy. I want to be the PA announcer for the Breakers. I'm, I've said it a million times, and I'll say it again. Um, and hopefully the except, well, excuse me, the UFL will do well and they'll have to expand and then they'll reconsider the breakers and then maybe uh, I can revive my dream yet again. But as (laughs) of now, uh, no plans for future expansion and, uh, no message from the breakers that that is even a possibility. Some sadness. We are, um, 
we are kind of foregoing basketball because we did a lot talking about football today. Uh, but just as a quick update, Pelicans are playing the Timberwolves today. Number one team in the West. The number one team in the West, the Timberwolves are. 24-8 and eight is their record. Uh, the Pels are 20-14. and 14. They've been playing pretty well. And the score at halftime, your Timberwolves, I don't know who you are, but Whoever your you are. Timberwolves, 46, your New Orleans Pelicans, 59. Yes, yes. Pels up 13 on the Wolves uh, halfway through. So good on them. Yeah, the definitive conference leader in the division. Uh, they if it, surpassed Dallas one game ahead of them, and with another win tonight, can put some distance on that, get into the top four. It's going to be a very fun time as we get towards playoff time in New Orleans. Will indeed. It's time to take a look back on our predictions from the last episode. And uh, one of the games that we predicted was a Pels game, the Pels Lakers yes. New Year's Eve receipt exchange, I call it. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But we started with the bowl games. Yes. Ooh. And Brett, we missed your predictions on all these games. It was sad. I, I was have dying. I, I was in a bed in a blue coma. You bed. had the flub. I know. I had, yeah, I had yeah. it earlier this year. It was miserable. So we're glad to see you doing better now. Uh, We started with the Military Bowl. Military Bowl, uh, we both thought Virginia Tech was going to get the better of Tulane in this one. No big surprise that they do. The final was uh, 41-20. I said 27-17. I was off by 17 points there. Donald said 36-18, only off by seven. Donald gets the ding on that one. Second game. Correct. We both have Virginia Tech. Oh, good. Yeah, we were smart. I forget that. Yes. (laughs) Uh, As were we talking about the ReliaQuest Bowl, LSU, Mm. Wisconsin. We both picked LSU to win that one. Uh, the final, as we mentioned earlier, 35 to 31. I said 37 17. It was close with that LSU score. A little off on Wisconsin's, which took me off 16. Donald, again closer, 41 28, only off by nine. Two ding for the Donald. All right. So, Donald only, well, no, we predicted. We predicted six. He would need two more to claim the weekend. Mm. McNeese versus Michigan men's basketball. That had a big upset potential written all over it. That was from just before New Year's, 1229. And McNeese did pull off, as many would have considered it, the upset 87-76. I said 84 to 70. Mm. I was off by nine. Donald said 78-74. Donald was off by 11. Oh, congratulations. But I said Michigan, and you said McNeese. So, ding for Donald, because <laughs> he picked the right team on that one. Now, Pell's Lakers, New Year's Eve receipt exchange. I call it the receipt exchange because I know we went into that game with a chip on our shoulder yes, after did. being so <laughs> unceremoniously eliminated from the in-season tournament. Ah, this one. Pels would win it 129 to 109. 
Donald, we both picked the Pels in this one, so yay for us. You said 116 to 108 off 14 points. Not bad, not bad. bad. I said 129 to 104. I hit that 129 on the nail for the Pels. And it was only off five for the Lakers, so I get the ding in that one. Well done, well done. One! Saints-Rams. Uh, it was 30 to 22 Rams. And despite the way that we talked about it, we all picked the Saints, knowing the Rams were probably going to win this one. Jessica Hall even jumped in. She said 21 13 New Orleans. She was off by 18, though she did better than I did. I said 17 13 New Orleans. I thought it was going to be a low scoring game. I was off by 22. Donald read this one mm. right down the line. The final was 30 22. You said 30 24. <laughs> Getting the ding on the uh, the Rams score, well, the winning score anyway. Yeah. Even though you pick New Orleans, since we all pick New Orleans, it goes by point differential. You at two, that's four for the week. That makes you the weekly winner. Coming into our last game, Saints Bucks, Jessica Hall got in on this one. The score was twenty three thirteen. She said twenty one thirteen. She was only off by two. She did better than both of us. So she gets a listener ding for the weekend. Nice, nice. But as far as uh, show tallies go, you said 28-24, which puts you off by 16 points. Yes. Let me check my math there for a second. I said 24-20 was a little closer, only off by eight. So ding for me there. I got two of six. You got four of six. And, of course, Jessica Hall gets a ding. So how did we wrap up the hundred? Mm. It was an even hundred. Donald, you finished it an even 40. I finished it an even 50. Brett went 13 of 51. We'll give him credit. Doubled, that would have been a 26 of 50. So I am the, uh, it looks as though the the season winner because we've only got one game to predict the last regular season game today uh so uh, i am out of reach tragically but let's let's still look at it anyway just yeah look i tell you what y'all go back and check the numbers the numbers are correct i know they are that's all i'm saying I mean, so what if I get a script every time I show up to the Dome? It's not like it shows what the score is going to be. It there doesn't. You go. It's just my PA script. It just tells me when to say, you're new, whatever, you know. Um, and even still, I wouldn't even see that until uh, well after this show was uh, recorded and aired anyway. As he looks down at the script that tells you exactly the score. <laughs> that totally doesn't. No exist. scripts. Not here. It's behind me. Saints Falcons. <laughs> Here we go. Um, the Saints lost to the Falcons 24 to 15 back on November 26th. Now we get the chance to give them the receipt. And that's a thing that we, uh, we definitely would love to do. And considering how much we Saints fans love them dirty birds anyway, wouldn't it be great to ensure that they don't make the playoffs by beating them in our house in the season finale? But the Saints aim to make the playoffs, and Dennis Allen hopes to quell the fire DA sentiment in New Orleans. He's got to win this one. Yeah. He just simply has to. Saints have been playing well against the division the last half of this season, but only well enough to be favored by three at home. 
I think you're going to see the Saints very motivated, playing hard and fast on defense. Uh, I think that uh, if Derek Carr can have the type of game against the Falcons that he's had against the Giants, the Bucks, or even the Panthers, especially if we get some help from the defense or special teams, we could have some very anxious Saints fans watching the outcomes of Sunday afternoon's games to see how that uh, the Green Bay, Chicago, Arizona, Seattle games go. That being said, gentlemen, this one doesn't count for tallies. This one's just for fun. How do we think this one's going to go down? Brett, we'll start with you. 24-17 Falcons is my weird initial thing that came in my brain. Mm. But statistically, it is harder to beat a football team twice in one season. It's almost impossible. So I would say 24-17 Saints. All right, is that a final? Yeah. 24-17 Saints. All right, Donald, where are you at? So I'm going to take a little bit of a different hint here. I think that this is, as you were saying, a coach for your job game for Dennis Allen. Derek Carr is a little bit more permanent. He's looking to get to 4,000 passing yards on the year, which I can assume he has some sort of a contract incentive for, although I did not read his papers before the show. He is, <laughs> why not? Eh, why not? You know, that, you know, that's how somebody, Michael Thomas, would have been set up, but, you know, I digress. Um, this is this is sort of a pride game for the Saints. You don't know what your performance is going to get you. It could get you everything you hope for. It could get you nothing. Um, ultimately, it's the responsibility of the players to go out and show their best effort to potentially, you could say, make up for that sad game you had in Atlanta. Um, not on the defense, because the defense was great in that one. Tyron Matthew, almost two interceptions in that one. Um, look, it's, it's, it's going to be fun in the Dome. We don't like Atlanta. They're going to show up because too many of you have sold your tickets already. That's okay. All choice, whatever you want to do with them. So it's going to be a very charged crowd. It's going to be the last opportunity. One of you who won the St. Timony Family Promise drawing is going to be sitting in Dave's seats. So ultimately, it's going to be a fun day. And I'm predicting the Saints to win 35 to 14. 35 14. I don't think Heineke has the ability to compare well with our defense. We're healthy enough back there. Paulson Adebo, Alante Taylor, both playing pretty well right now. You would hope that Marshawn Lattimore would have come off of IR, but it seems like that's only going to happen if we make the playoffs. Potentially same with Michael Thomas. We don't know yet. So let's see if the Saints can push themselves into the playoffs, and uh, it'll be a fun one, nevertheless. Indeed. I want to send a shout-out to Jay McGill. That was the winner of the, uh, the Saints tickets from the Family Promise raffle. Uh, so she will be in my seats and hopefully enjoying that game. Now, uh, my prediction has been written down since before we sat down to uh, to record, and I'm not going to change it, even though Brett stepped all over it. Mm. Brett said 24-17, Saints. I think it's going to be a close one, and I think Brett and I are thinking very similarly, similarly here. I said 23-17, ah. New Orleans. And you know what? I'll stick with it. And if I lose it to if I lose it to you for by one point, by two points, 
Okay. Whatever. This one's this one's all in fun anyway. I don't care. I'd just be happy to see the Saints win. And if they happen to score more points on the way, who am I to be mad at that? Not at all. All right. Uh, Seth, well, no. Donald's at 35-14 New Orleans. Yeah, so. I would not be mad to see uh, to see a 30-plus point performance. So, uh, my, my question is 23. How would that be achieved? Missing an extra point? Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal. No. Oh, okay. Excuse me. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, field goal. Yep. Yep. I got you. for blank Yep. Or. Because I was thinking three touchdowns, field goal. Or the three touchdowns, field goal. That's, and they get that's two 24. touchdowns, two two point conversions, and then failed third. You know, or you could have touchdown, 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 missed kick. But let's be clear, it's not a scoregami. No, it would not be a scoregami. This has happened way more times than not. So, all right, gentlemen, that was the only game that we had to predict. So that is all we really had on the docket today. Do we have any last minute predictions from any of our listeners out there currently that we need to add? Not that I see at the moment. Um, We'd like to once again thank everybody for their support today. Um, but we do want to say Jonathan did make a prediction. He says the Saints, spelled heavily to Aints, are not making the playoffs. Uh, well, you never know. Either road is unprobable. And either road. I would say unlikely, but not impossible. Not impossible. Yeah. The Saints don't do well when we have to rely on other people. Yeah. We'll we'll see how it pans out. Stranger things have happened. Stranger things yeah. indeed. All right. Well, we'll come back and we will examine all of that next week for Absolutely. another episode right here on the Boot Sports Network. If you guys haven't put your predictions in, you are more than welcome to do so even after the fact. Just put them in the comments section of wherever you are enjoying this podcast. And uh, for those of you who don't know all the different spots where you can find this podcast, we are on YouTube. You can also take the audio-only versions uh, on, on services like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. The easiest thing to remember is just go to bootsportsnetwork.com and tell your friends to go over there as well. At your front row VIP ticket to Boots to Balls and all things Boots Sports. It's where you can leave those comments, questions, and predictions and find us in your preferred podcast arenas. No matter where or how you listen, make sure to like and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on all your favorite social media channels. They're right. Well, they're right. They're under Brett in that ticker under Brett. Just make sure. Thank you, Brett. I pretty <laughs> make sure that you follow us and subscribe on your favorite social media channels. That way you can get short form versions of the podcast. And some other special content every once in a while, uh, trickling through your feeds like we do. We are also now on TikTok. And fun thing that I'm doing on my personal TikTok this year, if you haven't seen it yet, if you're a Saints fan, even if this Sunday is fixing to be our last game of the year, you don't have to go a whole year without Saints football. Follow me for Saints fan fun facts every day. There's a Saints fan fun fact for every day, and I'm sharing them with you on TikTok at DavidStorm underscore PA. Find, follow, enjoy, and share. 
Have a great boot sports weekend, everybody, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Boot Sports Network for another coverage outkicking episode of Boots to Balls. Bye, everybody. Boots to Balls is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast does not render legal or financial advice. Remember to bet responsibly, and if you or anyone you know is struggling with problem gambling, reach out to your local gambling helpline.